Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 99. So close to 100. I'm Dave. Relatively close. I'm Ashley. You're not doing it right. <laughs> I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. <laughs> We're a couple sometimes in Austin, Texas. Eugene, Oregon. We're a couple in Austin, Texas and... Eugene, Oregon. That does not help me access the rest of this phrase. Okay. <laughs> We're a couple in Austin and Eugene, Oregon, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots and sharing our must-see movies and guilty pleasures from the past. Yes. And the present. And the future. I don't know anything about the future of film, except it's going to involve AI. Okay. We're not going to talk about that here on this show. We don't talk about those (laughs) kinds of things. So, um, yeah, we're back. We're back. It's been three months. Yes. Do you want to tell a little bit about uh, where we've been and what's going on and, and what... Uh... So I moved across the country to Eugene, um, where I did my first term, summer term, in Eugene uh, as an architecture student, and it was very hard. <laughs> architecture grad school is not the same as library grad school. <laughs> is it the same as community college architecture? Uh no, you I did mean, your background well, work I mean, like, I guess that was like some of those classes required a lot of time. I, I think you remember my first drawing class that I spent all my time drawing when I wasn't at work. So, um, yeah, so it's like that only, you know, I'm in class and then I'm working on architecture, like pretty much all the time. <laughs> Listeners, I want you to know that we had good intentions. Yeah, <laughs> I I shipped out a microphone to Ashley in Eugene yeah. about a month ago, maybe mm-hmm. a little less. No. And um, you know what? It turns out that the life of a full-time grad student in architecture who has uh, multiple large-scale projects due yeah. at the end of the semester um, doesn't really allow for um, podcasting in the evenings, even remotely. Yeah. So I had visions of maybe we can set up a, a Zoom recording and kind of figure out a way to still do this. And that might be the case down the line. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I've got my wife back in the room yeah. with me today. <laughs> You're in between semesters or quarters. Terms. Yeah. So um, it's our plan to, I don't know, maybe record one, maybe maybe two, maybe bank a couple of podcasts so that uh, we can sort of get this thing, uh, get this dead horse on its feet again. Yeah. Wait, can you get a dead? Okay. It's a sick horse. It's not dead. Okay. Also, it's just tired. It's just tired. Okay. It needs a break. All right, so um, I, I, we are here on a Friday afternoon, even though it's morning. Okay. I have no concept of what time it is because I don't sleep, like ever. Um, boy, this is a punchy episode. So we're back <laughs> with our first episode in three months. Yes. And uh, coming soon after this will be our extravaganza. Well, it'll actually just be a regular episode. That's our 100th episode, but yes. we can talk about that at the end. Yes. And uh, if, if you recall, or even if you don't recall... This is Ashley's choice this week. Yes. Not Sophie's choice. Not Dave's choice. It wasn't that difficult. It wasn't that difficult. <laughs> no films were left behind. Yeah. That, that's as far as we should go with that. Yeah. Not funny. Okay. Um, what's your choice? Uh, I chose uh, a documentary that came out, I guess, about 10 years ago. 2010. I know this. 2010. So 13 facts. years ago. Um, Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. Um, I'll say. I mean, that's what it's called. (laughs) Yes. Um, So it's uh, a documentary that follows her for about 14 months um, of her, I think, 
about four or five years before she passed, um, just sort of like recording like what her daily life is like. And, you know, um, anyway, so I saw it. um, I was, I love documentaries. um, And I was on a serious like comedy kick. Oh, didn't, was this when you were used to watch all the like comedy Netflix type specials comedy and you were just following stand-up comics? And I listened to like all the comedy podcasts like Sklar Brothers and Mark Maron and started with Mark Maron and then like went from there and just sort of went this down this like comedy black hole of like, you know. <laughs> and you never came back. Well, no. I mean, like, you know, and I got into, a, you know, unfortunately, like Louis C.K. And, you know, saw him live a couple times. And, we didn't know about Louis yeah, C.K. in 2010. Um, but uh, I, the comedy world is very interesting. And it's very insular. And there's a lot of, like, intermixing and meshing between them. And they all know each other from the circuit. And it's very... It's very interesting, and they all are people. A lot of them seem to be the kind of people who like wear their insecurities on the outside, mm-hmm. you know. Which is, you know, for someone who has a lot of those sorts of insecurities, which I think is like everybody. Which is why I think comics are, you know, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there is a series of comics that don't focus on that, but the kind of comic I like is the sort of neurotic, self-obsessed. I, you I know. <laughs> to break in for a second, I remember, yeah. and I think it's come up on the show before, yeah. maybe even like the last episode. It seems like it came up recently, is that you've often told me how much you connected with Mark Marin when you first started yeah. listening to his podcast because you were like, oh my God, other people feel like a mess. Yeah. Like other people <laughs> have self-doubt and yeah. critical thoughts and don't know what they're doing. And yeah. <laughs> all of those things that you feel are, you know, the there's something wrong with me. Are other people like this? Is like, no, other people are like this. Most other people are probably like this. Mark Maron yeah. is certainly like this. Well, and I think that the, the particular type of comic that I like does sort of like play off of those insecurities, you know, and... And I don't know, it's, it's interesting, you know, there's, they almost can't escape it, which is like, sad sometimes, you know, that they're so, like, their comedy comes from that, from the pain, you know, and, and so like, you know, it's, it's harder for them to make their art when they're in a situation where they would be happy and satisfied. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting, but like even when you have, even when you're Joan Rivers, um, you know, after you know decades of success, um, ups and downs, she's got a pretty good life going on, and she still has all of these. You know, you take yourself with you, whatever, wherever you yeah. go. So when I saw this, I just um, I didn't know much about you know women comedians at all. You know, um, I got more into. Um, uh, women comedians, you know, later, but like the sort of... Was this around the time that you saw God Said Ha or whatever that was? Oh, uh, that's or? Julia Sweeney. No, I've I've known about that okay. since... even longer. Since uh, high school. So what's yeah. interesting to me, and one of the things that's interesting to me, is this is like an interest of yours yeah. that I don't, I don't specifically share. Like, yeah. I don't know all of these comedians. You often mm-hmm. come up with names of comedians that I've... Yeah. I can't place or yeah. I haven't really seen their sets or watched specials or know about. So in this <laughs> case, like obviously as a person growing up in the 20th century, yeah. um, 
I did know who Joan Rivers was, but I had only like a series of stereotypes and like stupid opinions, I think. Yeah. Like off the cuff, like what, what we see and what we hear about Joan Rivers combined with fragments, probably mostly clips of, of seeing her on the runway with Melissa Rivers, her daughter, you know, when they like trash everybody's outfits at award shows, that kind of shtick. And so I just had a few things like that and I didn't really know anything about her. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask is, is you said you chose this because you like, you really like documentaries and you really Mm. like comedy, but why did you choose this for me now? Like what made, what brought this to mind out of all the things in the world after three months of not doing a show, did this this pop in your head as like, we should do this. So we have just finished watching what the fourth or fifth season of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, It's such a fantastic show. Um, I recommend uh, the Paladinos, Daniel and Amy Sher- Sherman Paladino, and um, loosely, very They're loosely. They're the Gilmore Girls people, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They created loosely Gilmore Girls. Loosely based on the life of Joan Rivers. So inspired by the life of Joan Rivers, not really a real retelling, no. but the same sort of characters in it, like Lenny Bruce. Taking a know. figure of that yeah. type, a groundbreaking, um, one of the first successful female comedians, and maybe t- pulling out some themes from yeah. from Joan Rivers' life, but definitely so she's like, one of the the models, yeah, I think. Yeah, working in the, you know, past-the-hat kind of establishments in the in the village, um, working in the Catskills, in the, you know... Jewish comedian. Jewish, yeah, Jewish uh, comedy circuit. Yeah. Um, so all of, all of those things are kind of similar. Breaking into the men's world of comedy. Yeah. yeah. Getting a star, getting your showcase on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah, breaking out breaking, of, breaking, breaking out. out of, you know, the comedy, like, you know, cheap club circuit into like big club rooms and, and that sort of thing and getting, getting TV shows and all of that stuff that that um she needed to do and she was among you know the first women to to do it you know um and interestingly by by you know being quite abrasive you know um that was sort of yeah, her thing that was her thing I mean, yeah saying the, title the thing of the movie that, is that Rivers, no one would say you know that um kind of a shock comic kind of thing you so know. that was one of the lessons for me yeah. is i didn't really i didn't really know her comedy other than the sort of you saw that she did insult comedy and that's yeah. sort of all i knew yeah but um she did kind of shock comedy yeah. like like lady howard stern of the 60s and 70s yeah, i think in a way yeah um she was joking about stuff you don't joke about yeah. she was she her set would have stuff about abortion in yeah. the 60s and you know what did they call it? Appendectomies or something? Yeah, she had five. <laughs> so you had to like sneak this stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, did you know much about John Rivers before you saw this movie, or was this like the main way that you sort of now I didn't know, know who I didn't, she is and what she was about? I didn't, and actually, I should have looked this up, but um, I was just fascinated with comedy. It got a lot of good reviews. It was one of the best reviewed documentaries of that year, I believe. And I can't remember if The Aristocrats, which is another comedy documentary. I've never seen that. That's the one where they're all telling that joke, right? Yeah, except they don't really tell it. It's it's never told. Oh, it's they're, never it's told? It's just them talking about the okay. joke. Okay, that sounds really um, it's cool. It's interesting. It, it really gets into like the process of, of making a joke and how you can take one joke and each comedian can add something 
different to or bring like something jazz different. Improvisation yeah, or essentially, yeah. Because you can make it your own with yeah. each new Yeah, I mean, there is no own. specific joke. It's just the punchline is the aristocrat. Ladies and gentlemen, the aristocrats. Okay. You know, so it's it's. I don't know the joke. I've never seen the movie. Yeah. So I, well, I mean, like it. it's it's yeah. Anyway, so I can't remember if that came out before or after, but that was another sort of well-reviewed documentary, um, which is fascinating, too, because it gets into, like, comedians that, like, I don't ever, I didn't ever think about, like, um, the guy who played Dan, what is Bob Saget, as, like, he was always the full house guy when I was growing up. But he was a shock comedian. Yeah, he was a shock comedian, and he He had had a... He had a filthy mouth, is from what I understand. Well, and he had a special that came out shortly before he died. Um, What a tragedy that was. Yeah, unfortunately, he, I think he just hit his head, um, um, and no one was around. No, in a hotel room on the circuit. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, um... I, I was really into watching, but I didn't really know anything about her other than she was on um, one of those entertainment shows. I don't even know which one. And like, would say like, and it was that time when like Perez Hilton was around and, um, and like, just like everybody was terrible and tearing down Britney Spears and, you know, calling Adele fat. Was it and, one of the first know, big waves of like, let's tear down the celebrities? I mean, I, mean, I, I think guess that's that always was been a that thing. was the height of it, though. I think is that it Let's got take down like, Michael Jackson and yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that probably Michael Jackson was an easy target for her because of the pl- yeah. the plastic surgery thing that they had, um, you know, in common. So that was another thing is like everybody made fun of her for all the plastic surgery that she had, and I definitely want know. to talk about that. As yeah. We get so, into this. so I mean, I was just interested to see it, but I didn't really know anything about her other than you know. It kind of spoke to me as this like pioneer woman in comedy kind of thing, and I wanted to to know more. So, uh, you know, I would have seen it in the theater, you know, probably at the Old Arbor, which is not open anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So you touched about you touched on this a little yeah. bit, and this isn't the kind of movie that you can totally give it a synopsis to yeah. or anything like that. But I wanted to touch upon a couple points. Mm. It is basically sort of a year in the life. Mm-hmm. And the focus is a year in the life of Joan trying to scrounge up enough work to, to, to pay, pay the bills. bills. Yeah. Okay. So she's an icon. She's in her 70s? 76, in, I believe. In, in the film. Yeah. Um, and we get a year in the life of her trying to fill in dates. She's got her, her calendar, her appointment yeah. book. Um, she jokes with her managers and her assistants <laughs> about, uh, you know, whenever they're talking about a job, yeah. oh, hang on a second, let me get my sunglasses because yeah. of all the white of the page where yeah. there's nothing there. <laughs> it used to be full, absolutely yeah. full. And now she's, it's just white and blind and open and, and totally just trying to find something to pencil in. Um, so we see her go throughout the movie, go on a series of little show dates yeah. in shitty little towns and little, I mean, okay, the towns are fine, but it's not... New York, LA, yeah. right? It's, it's like the Midwest. It's yeah. um, playing little tiny clubs, even in, I think it opens with a something in B- Brooklyn or something like yeah. that, a tiny club in Brooklyn. And she's like, look at this. She's looking at the seat, that the, the yeah. chair that's all <laughs> fucked up. And, and she's like, this is what you get after 40 years in the business. You end up in a shithole like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but another big focus of the movie, and we can talk yeah. about it more, is um, we see the process of her preparing a play yeah. that she's written and it's sort of a 
uh, a look back at her life and career and ha- mm-hmm. where she is. And it's something that she's really passionate about. And we get to see the stages of her trying to mount that and um, put it together with directors and actors and rehearsing it. And ultimately, she wants to take it to the Edinburgh Festival. And from there, hopefully get enough press and praise to open it wider in London and maybe come back with her tail between her legs to New York, where she had a bad experience years earlier with the play. Um, so those are some of the milestones along the way. Yeah. Um, that I just wanted to pencil in kind of like the structure a little yeah. bit. Um, but I also want to kind of give you my quick take on it is, uh, this movie was successful to me because it, literally changed the way I thought about Joan Rivers. Like I realized I didn't know anything about her and I came away like respecting her. Mm -hmm. I came away like understanding more about her role as a groundbreaking female comedian. We got to see like this workaholic, I'm going to do every, I need to do this. I need to be out there all the time. I have to do it. It's my passion. It's my livelihood and it pays the bills and I need the money. Yeah. Um, but I did used to just think that she was this sort of, I didn't think she was funny from what I'd seen from her before. I thought she was just this kind of crass, bitchy Mm -hmm. comedian who just insulted people, wasn't particularly funny, was sort of annoying, you know, want to change the channel when she comes up. And that she like had so much plastic surgery done in those last few years that she just looked like she had that kind of, scary mask like face Mm. that an older woman who's had like way too much like like what we say is way too much plastic surgery has and that's sort of like all i had yeah and then i realized that was not joan rivers yeah well it it was joan rivers but it's part of joan it's part of joan rivers but it's (laughs) not the only thing that's joan rivers (laughs) yeah um i mean like i think i think it really it comes across that she's like a deeply insecure person she's insecure about her looks she's insecure about her talent and she needs that audience to like you know give her that feeling like she's valuable or you know which is it's not enough to to know that she was valuable five or ten years or 20 years ago she needs it every day every every week yeah Otherwise, and I think that's the case with a lot of comedians. Otherwise, like their self-esteem is so connected to to the external, working yeah, and the and the 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 buzz you get from performing in front of the audience and the love you get, yeah, or the hate you get. Yeah. I mean, I think that she gets just as much out of you know stoking fires. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a scene um, when she is out in if it Wisconsin or something like that, doing her very shocking, you know, comedy. Yeah. And like um, she makes a joke about um, Helen Keller, I believe, and yeah, like there Keller was a joke. guy in the audience that um, was upset because he has a deaf son. You he know, starts screaming at you her. know, it's and a- so it was interesting to see her like fight off that heckling. So she goes after him pretty strong, and then, she shuts him down yeah, very aggressively. Yeah, and you know. Um, but then, like, to see her afterwards, the guilt that she feels about that, you know, um, that, like, in order to, you know, have a successful show, she had to shut it down. But she felt a lot of empathy for the for the guy, you know. Well, let's look at that moment for a yeah. minute. Because when you're being heckled, you don't know what the heckler's going to say. Yeah. You don't know how they're going to attack. 
And this was somebody who was personally offended and one yeah. was going to walk out and was like, that's not funny. I have a deaf son. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Shut up. And um, the the way, like, she talked afterwards about yeah. how the adrenaline kicks in and, like, the thing to do is you... you, you it's a make or break moment yeah. because you have the audience is in shock yeah, and you have to find a way to get them back on your side. Yeah. But it wasn't just that because part of her defense when that was going on was not like absolute, like who cares about your son? Yeah. It was like, you don't understand what comedy is. Yeah. And so she's actually while shouting down the heckler telling him like what the purpose of comedy is to take the things that are, are horrible, hard. horrible yeah. and hard and um, that's what, literally what comedy is, and you don't know anything. Yeah. And then she also said, and by the way, motherfucker, my mother is deaf, and yeah. I can joke about this because that's what comedy is. Yeah. But yeah, afterwards, when she's going out to the car, she feels like it, that sort of guilt kicks in. Yeah. And she's like, I feel so bad about his son. Yeah. And like he didn't, he didn't know. What, yeah. I mean, like, it's it, it's interesting, like, because that argument, which is, like, an argument that comedians use a lot, you know, and, like, I mean, like, that's that's one of the things I find so fascinating about comedy, and, like, some of my favorite, you know, people who work in comedy, like Lindy West, like, her struggle against that particular argument that I can say anything at any time. And if it's a joke, then it can be funny, you know? And the thing is, is part of that's true. Like you can say anything at any time. Somebody might find that funny. It doesn't mean that it's good for the world, <laughs> you know, necessarily. Well, maybe, I don't think this joke was all that terrible in the I scheme of things. I don't think it was all that terrible, but the misuse of that yeah. idea of comedy, we see it all the time with racism. Yeah. We, and, and, and rape who culture, are you know. Overtly racist yeah. or overtly joking about rape yeah. culture. Yeah. Under the guise that. Oh, you have no sense of I'm humor. Not serious. I'm a comedian. Yeah. It's a joke. It's a joke. You know, I I don't And <laughs> and I can say it. and and then also that idea of like I comedy is shocking and that's what the purpose of this is and yeah. I'm doing it right if you're shocked. You yeah. know, you just don't get it. Well, you know, I have I have mixed, you know, feelings about that because I've seen some very good you know, the comedy, the best comedy is when they're telling a story and something unexpected comes up. And sometimes that's in this sense of something shocking and appalling and you wouldn't think would happen in this particular story. And so the ability to like recognize that and bring that to the forward is, is a talent. But, you know, I do also believe that words have the power to hurt the world, you know, yeah. um, especially in an environment where we're increasingly just exposed to words, you know, yeah. via online stuff. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's I mean, interesting. I mean, like, I understand the argument. And I think in this context, it's, it's a fine argument. But I think that that gets used to excuse a lot of, but there is not, yeah. there's not necessarily a right or wrong. To no, it because she did actually offend and hurt that man. Yeah, she did. You know, not the whole audience, no. necessarily. But yeah, <laughs> there's a casualty on that in that set that night. Well, and, and she walked away a little burned by it, too. And I get very frustrated with comedians that are like, I can say this, there's free speech. And that that's true. That's absolutely true. You have the ability to say whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you but want. But do you need to put that into the world? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, but you, once you do that, once you put it out in the world, people react to it. That's what, you know, and you can disagree with their reactions, but you can't 
control how they how your words make them feel you know and so you're letting when you when it after it leaves your mouth you've let go of it and now it has a life of its own and people can react (laughs) to it based on who they are so i mean like you know there's a lot of a lot of talk about how like people are too sensitive but i don't i don't think that that i mean like i don't think that that's necessarily true i mean i this is i don't know it's a fascinating argument and maybe we should <laughs> move on but um we um, can move on anytime yeah you want. uh but um that's just um one of the interesting problems that i i I find in in the comedy thing that that she brings up in that particular yeah. moment. So I want to I want to back up a second to the opening of the movie, and also address a little bit of the plastic surgery yeah. kind of thing, because I thought the the opening was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because do you remember it opens with her caking on the makeup yeah. and getting made up, and um, it's a, it's an extreme close up. Yeah. You're right there on her face without the makeup, and as you're literally seeing it being just smeared and caked on and yeah. like that whole that that facade being put on and a lot of the movie is about the facade i think and, yeah. and who she is on the outside and who she is on the inside and how comfortable or uncomfortable she is with vulnerability and and there's even exchange at some point about don't you want people to know who you really are underneath <laughs> and, and she's like no like no. we don't does anybody want anybody to know who they really are but what I loved about the the makeup scene, I think it's the opening credits or just after the opening credits, um, is if you've come to this movie sort of only knowing Joan Rivers as a plastic surgery joke, yeah, I think like showing us that close, like extreme close up, exactly what her face looks like before and after and with the makeup and as the mask goes on, for me, it's like you kind of get over the shock right away. Yeah. I mean, I kind of found myself that, like, I got used to how she looked yeah. right away by focusing on it so much so that I could move past that yeah, and focus on, like, her as a person and the details of her life, that sort of thing. I don't know yeah. if you experienced that the same way. And I don't even know if that's the intention of it. But that's just how I played it is, like, let's put this out there now and then let's sort of move on. That's one part of her. yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like I feel like the, I mean, maybe not at the culture as a whole, but I feel like generationally, you know, we've moved away from the sort of high glamour look for you know women most of the time. That that you know, I mean, like I you know my mom puts on makeup every time she goes out of the house. I I never. Well, occasionally wear makeup. Well, you Joan know? and Mrs. Maisel, yeah. for that matter, are definitely a put on your face yeah. to go out into the world yeah. kind of thing. That's, Which is that's, like, a, it's like a shield. It's, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. And, and like the other part of it is like, especially for women, it's really hard to, you know, part of your value in the world is your attractiveness and to see that change and fade, you know, over time and you feel like you're losing part of your power, you know, to have that happen, you know, and, (laughs) you know, she, I think in the movie at some time says like, nobody ever told her that she was beautiful, you know, ever, you know, which is, you know, I mean, and, and like, you know, she had a, like a long-term marriage. She was married for like 25 years 
um, which seemed like a great partnership, you know, but... Um, they were business partners. Yeah, I don't think they were as, you know, they loved each other, but not in the same, you know, kind of passion kind of way, but in a, No, I think it was probably more of a best friends and partnership kind of yeah. thing. Like, they knew each other so well and could work really well with each other, and they supported each other yeah. in all the ways. We don't know that it was the great love affair yeah (laughs) kind of thing well and that's another thing that's kind of remarkable about this movie is that they don't focus on her love life is not at all it's not really on the table yeah which is i think really cool it's all focused on so that's not a that's not a weakness of the film at all yeah i think that um you know i don't know i mean like you can only show i mean like in what 95 minutes or whatever only show a short movie a certain you know, certain sides of, so, and like, you know, anytime you make a documentary, you have to choose a perspective. So, I mean, I think that they focused on, you know, a lot on like what it was like to come up as a woman and then what it's like to, you know, be at this point where you're kind of like, a has, you know, a has past been. Your expirta- ex- yeah. expiration date. Yeah. That's what I'm past trying to say. Your, um, but, like, if you read her career thing on Wikipedia, it's incredible the amount of stuff that I she did. It's time, she wrote 12 books. You know, it's like... I didn't know that. I saw um, We saw at least two of them, I think, she had like in the movie. She had an Emmy, Emmy Award-winning talk show, daytime talk show in the 80s. Um, she, she, she wrote movies. You know, it's just all this... All this she was she able the, to do. at least two plays. Yeah. Um, and actually, interestingly, you know, despite how it's presented in the film where she feels very deeply insecure about her acting, um, but apparently the review that she, the, the play that she did in the nineties got pretty good reviews. It didn't play very long. Like people Is that the one that we see her preparing? No. Um, this would have been the 2010s or yeah, whatever, yeah. 2009, 2009, um, so she had a, another play that she had done that one about Sally get... Marr, who was um, uh, Lenny Bruce's mother. Oh, they and did that a one play. was well-reviewed? That one was, we her acting really was well-reviewed. Yeah, and I think that it just didn't play very long, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but, like, the two reviews I saw quoted in the Wikipedia article, at least, were positive about her acting, you know, that she made. I'm glad you brought up the acting, because yeah. this was one of the revelations to me and I think that they intended in the movie is that um, Joan Rivers never intended to be a world famous comedian or to only be known as a comedian. Joan Rivers, her whole life wanted to be an actress and a dramatic actress or an actress of the stage. Yes. She wanted to be a stage actress her whole life. And the only reason she ever went into comedy was to sort of have a, a, a side gig or, you know, something to, to pay the rent. So yeah. that she could work on the more serious acting career. Yeah. And look what happens. That's the kind of thing that turns into your lifetime career. Yeah. <clears throat> Librarian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, now you get to be an architect. It's so probably not, not as hard to <laughs> no, break into the uh, library world. Although it did take me three years to get a job. No, I don't. Library is not the aspiration. <laughs> it's the career that I ended up doing for a lifetime That's that right. was only supposed to pay the bills. But we're not doing an existential podcast this time. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see her like practice the play. And then it was apparently a big success at Edinburgh, but Edinburgh is a fringe festival. Um, 
So no, there's a main festival too. Oh, okay. Is there? The, yeah, there's the the Edinburgh Festival, okay. and then at the same time is the Fringe uh, Festival. Okay, okay. Well, I don't understand Edinburgh then. Um, well, you've obviously never been to Edinburgh. That's true. I haven't. Um, been to the festival two times. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Well, it's, you know the thing is, is <laughs> my entire history with Edinburgh is that I know that Eddie Izzard performs there. At the, I think he does the Fringe, and then um, Hannah Gadsby also does Fringe. I saw Eddie. Eddie. I can't remember Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard perform in London. <laughs> okay. I, you know, he came to Austin, but the tickets were like 80 bucks. And I was like, I'm not going to pay 80 bucks to see Eddie Izzard. Eddie, $80 <laughs> seems on the low end of how much shows are now. That's true. But this was like 10 years ago. So, okay. So you know, that would be like. It was when he was on that um, weird show with Minnie Driver. Anyway, unrelated. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the acting career was. Something that she and theater was yeah. something that she was always trying to do, and so th- that's a major section of the movie is her trying to get the play going and working with directors and in rehearsals and writing it and preparing it to go to Edinburgh. And um, it actually does really well in Edinburgh, yeah, it did like really it gets well. really great reviews. Um, and she is poised to come to London and bring it to London and 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 have the reviews and the accolades continue and just come back with a huge success and maybe even even though she said she would never go back to New York to Broadway after yeah. being savaged one of the last times she did a play you know they kind of shut her down yeah um she's she has hopes yeah. that this could be the thing that brings her back to New York yeah. the New York stage and then how does London go? It's, I mean, she got pretty tepid reviews. They aren't like, they aren't like terrible. She isn't like savaged or anything, but it's, it's kind of like, it's a little schmaltzy, you know, it's a little awkward, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So they're not, they're not very positive reviews. No. Yeah. They're not good reviews. Yeah. Really. <laughs> no, they're not good. Okay. <laughs> sit with me. So what we get is we get her in the seat in the back of her car with her um, assistant, Jocelyn, yeah. um, reading her the reviews from one the after Times another from the and, paper. And the Telegraph. And I, um, I know, like, she doesn't break down or anything, but yeah. she's clearly really devastated and disappointed and kind of in shock because yeah. there's not that much of an emotional reaction. Yeah. It's just kind of like she can't mesh, like, the expectations she had with the tepid reviews coming in. And it's kind of a hard moment. Yeah. And we're there with her while, yeah. while it's happening. <laughs> It's brave to allow that too, to allow the camera. Well, to you be wonder on how much kind of... the presence of the camera affected the reaction yeah. too, because even with the camera present, you you we do see her noticeably shaken. Yeah, you know, like this was not how it was supposed to be. And then she just kind of shrugs it off. And that's and, the end, and that's like, like the the end of a dream. Yeah, she's like seventy one or something. I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know. The thing is, is like. I mean, based on the reviews, I think they could have workshopped it, you know, but, you know, if she didn't have the time to invest or the money to invest or she couldn't pick up a producer that was willing to, you know, support their, um, you well, know, renting the, a theater that's or whatever. The thing is you know. the dream, the, the success of it would be producers coming to fund yeah. taking it to Broadway. Yeah. If no producers come out to fund it, then there's nothing more to do with it. She can't mount it herself. Yeah. 
Well, it's, it's interesting. I know very little about the New York theater scene, um, <laughs> you know, other than what I've seen in All About Eve or whatever, um, and, and the actual plays that I've been to. But um, I assume that, like, critics sort of have this all... I think that's, that's like, a, a theme in All About Eve is that um, the critics have this power to, like, control and make people stars, you know, and and it's I guess they still do you know um, because it takes the the audience in New York to go see the play for it to get big enough well uh, to uh, to draw audiences from outside. A bad of New, New York. York Times review on opening yeah. night closes a play, as far yeah. as I understand. Yeah, so that's that's fascinating that 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 sort of you know movies I think have a little more. Because they're shown more widely, they can find an audience. Well, especially easier. in the era of streaming distribution, yeah. sometimes you don't find the audience until you hit that niche of being the thing on Netflix yeah. or Hulu that month. Yeah. <laughs> that or something that people eventually find in the back catalog that yeah. gets enough streams to bring some return on it. Not to the actors, though. Sorry, Sag. But interesting. It's like uh, you know, New York is is you know changing too probably at that point you know in the well as everything was with the internet you know starting to take over and change everything you know you know the old the old systems start to break down yeah (laughs) um i think she talks about how like you know at some point like when she had a success she had like you know, eight or 10 people to call. And now that she's in her seventies, she only has a few, like two people that she would call because people keep, you know, dying or slipping away yeah. over time. Can, you know? Maybe this is a good segue to talk about her relationship with her manager, Billy Samuel. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So it's interesting. They don't really get into, I mean, like she talks about Billy and how he's been in her life for 35 years. He's been her manager um, she always wants his opinion on things, but like throughout, she's her sec- he's her second brain and yeah. her memory, and yeah. like they can literally reminisce about things that happened and people yeah. they knew forty years ago, thirty five years ago. And like, interestingly, like throughout the whole documentary, he just keeps disappearing. Like, but when he's they with never her, talk about it, but yeah. But when he's with her in the same room, I feel like you're seeing like this connection and this lifetime, you know friendship yeah like it seems so warm at least on camera and then like we keep catching up with joan saying she can't reach him and hasn't been able to get a hold of him for a month or melissa's saying people are starting to tell me that billy's not returning their calls when they're like trying to set things up and what's going on what do we do about it yeah so i mean like they don't ever talk about what the problem is but i suspect it's alcoholism or drugs you know it's one of the two you know but we don't know that. We don't know. But, you know, I mean, but also, like, you can see, like, when she has a failure or a um, a rough moment that it really hurts Billy, you know, you can see, he, he like, he wears his, he you wears. You mean when she has a. Like, uh, when some, she has a personal, not, like, a, a career a setback, upset a career or a setback. setback. Like, you can see it hurts, him. it hurts him, you know, so maybe there's that a well, part of that. Part of it may just be, it's too old to get gigs for this broad anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's too hard. 
yeah. to watch her scraping and scrambling like this. Well, but that's, that's the interesting thing is that like they talk about how like there are ebbs and flows and like throughout the course of the movie, you go from a serious ebb where she's having trouble booking much of anything yeah. to where she, um, um, when we see her appointment book at the end yeah. <laughs> where it's like the so, red eye flying. So she, the, she's on the celebrity apprentice and yeah. she ends up winning yeah. And um, all of a sudden... Melissa's she's, on it with her, too. Yeah. She's on um, talk shows, and um, she's writing another book, and, like, like it's just this sort of, um, like, swing from one to the other. Like, sometimes you're hot and sometimes you're not kind of, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I think... And it's funny, like, she signs up to do a Comedy Central roast, which are the worst. They are awful. Like, I've... So that's sort of where we end up is <laughs> yeah. with we sort of ride the this this wave of from celebrity apprentice yeah. trigger warning Trump there is a little yeah. bit of this in the movie yeah. but to the Comedy Central roast yeah which clearly she does not want to do yeah but they they make a point throughout the movie and we witness scenes where like her her agent her manager her assistants are on the phone saying Joan will do anything yeah. she'll do an ad for adult diapers <laughs> yeah. she'll do like just throw us something you want her to do anything she'll do it so this is definitely a situation of of um celebrity apprentice is like the worst most hurtful thing in the world but she's going to do it because you can't turn down the money that's what she says yeah. right that's what the money's for yeah so, well Draper she actually makes say. a pretty funny joke about how um uh, Melissa had called her the other day and was, she's like, she had been offered, um, like a Playboy cover, you know, uh, or, oh, yeah, right. or centerfold or something yeah. like that. And, you know, she called a her spread. mom and told her she turned it down and, and Joan Rivers is like, you know, it, it was like some incredible amount of money too, like a hundred thousand dollars. Just to be topless. Just to be topless. And, you know, she's like, you know, I would have, you know, you should have, you should have taken it. You know, you should have uh, said for twice that I'll uh, show show everything. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, a, that's funny that the money is such a driver for her. But like, that's another thing that I found so surprising is that. Um, tell, she, yeah. Tell us why the money is such a driver. for So, her. I mean, like she has a nice lifestyle. She lives in a very big apartment in New York. It's very ornately decorated. It's. You know, it's it's, it's a little it's a little um, um, over the top, over the top sort but of she, kitschy she, glamour. She admits that she likes a, to live a nice life, but she also has the staff of people. So she has like a housekeeper, and she has like and two she housekeepers. Has a, she has a, a cook slash housekeeper, that man, yeah, and his wife. I think his wife, is yeah, they too. live with her, and then she has two Jocelyn, ass- her personal assistant. She who's has with two her. assistants. There's one that's with her by her side all the time, yeah. making phone calls, taking phone yeah. calls. Stuff. She has Billy. She has um, um, like a makeup artist that comes with her everywhere. Um, so like she has the staff, but on top of that, she she like she sends their kids to private schools in New York so that they can I didn't be catch that in the movie. But that's yeah, something you told they me. Can Did be, they mention that. In they the do movie? mention it in I, the movie. So like out. I mean, I assume it's so that that she can they can be with her more often. So they don't have to. You know, they live out in Brooklyn. I'll take they care can, of you, so you can take care of me. Yeah, so I'll take can, care of you and your people, so you can yeah, take care. So of me. she has these big bills, but part of it is supporting her staff and like. I think that that's something that that I feel like is getting lost is that like when you have um, people who when you're paying for someone their livelihood that, you know, you, you should pay them well 
and they will treat you well, you know, this, this, you know, so I don't know, I feel like some of this is getting lost that we just like, what can I exploit out of, out of people, but I feel like there was this, and like, you know, you have mixed feelings about it, you know, this like incredible amount of wealth and privilege that they're able to, you know, pay to have people attend to them all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. which is incredible, like, um, only a certain small amount of people have that that power and that privilege to do that. But if you're in that position, treating those people well and paying them well for their time is like is how is how you can, you know, as a wealthy and privileged person, you know, contribute in part to a better world, you know, also yeah. you know, give to charities and, and Well she does that yeah. too. But lift people up instead of keeping people down, you know, um, and like, you know, can you imagine the, I mean, just the unimaginable, um, just going to a private school in New York, like the, you know, these probably middle-class people, you know, their kids are going to go to these incredible private schools, which will allow them access to incredible colleges, you know, and it's, um, you know, that being able to share your, your, I mean, and the thing is, is like, it's it's obvious she works hard. You know, I don't think that a lot of wealthy people don't have to work as hard as she does. You no, know? but Joan, <laughs> you get this, you, we see in the movie yeah. that she's literally pounding the pavement. Yeah. I mean, she's on the phone. She's, she is willing to fly that day on a red eye to do a little gig somewhere yeah. in the Midwest. Like yeah. she will do anything. They show like she a is, 24 hours in her day, like during the high point, And it's like, she's up at five 30 in the morning, taking a plane. There's like to the three coast. things on the agenda yeah. that day. That includes a flight and yeah. a performance here and a performance at the end and of the day Springs, and a charity dinner yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So she, you know, is willing to, to work to support the lifestyle that she has, you know, which, um, is is pretty incredible, you know, um, to see that, you know, as a 76-year-old woman, too, you know, she's she's doing all of this, you know, with, um, and has, like, all this energy to, um, but I think there's also a scene with her and Melissa where Melissa talks about how, like, at some, at some party or something like that, um, you know, she just kind of, you know, she's on her phone and she's wearing her sunglasses and she's a little bit shut down. And so she's like hurt that nobody came up to talk to her. But Melissa's like, you were completely you shut down, you know. <laughs> you were like staring at your phone. Yeah. You, she said, Mom, I know it's your shyness <laughs> and your thing. Yeah. But people are reading it as like, don't approach me. Yeah. You know, I'm not available. Like yeah. She's like, you have to know the way that you're coming across. Because you were putting that up. Yeah. And I actually think that the relationship between them comes across as really, you know, positive relationship that they have together, you know, that, um, in, in some ways they feel kind of like sisters or something. I think they're so close. Um, there was a really good, great moment where they were asking, um, Melissa, like, what was your mom's reaction when you told her? years ago that you also wanted to go into show business (laughs) and i'd like i think i'm maybe paraphrasing it wrong but i think melissa said well she was great but she was supportive but not encouraging yeah (laughs) 
Because she knows how hard it was yeah. for her, you know. So she supported me because that's yeah. what I wanted. Yeah. She didn't want that for me. Yeah. And so she didn't encourage it or make it happen or, you know, yeah. grease the wheels or anything. But, like, she was open to, I love you and this is what you want. Well, and, and from what it sounds like, you know, they, they did movies that they wrote or that mm-hmm. she wrote. Um, what is that weird movie they did after... I mean, there's the tragedy of, unfortunately, Edgar, her husband of many years and Melissa's dad, like ended up committing suicide sometime in the aftermath of the late show falling apart, her talk show. Um, The one that made, unfortunately, led to her lifelong friend, Johnny Carson, um, blacklisting her or getting NBC to blacklist her for most of the rest of her career. Yeah. Because she was the fill-in host on his show. Yeah. And then she was offered the late show on rival network Fox Fox. in the early days of Fox. And she took it and they had a phone call and he hung up on her or something. And they never spoke ever again again. after he was the one who like gave her her first big talk show moment that made her a star. And he saw it as, um, you know, unforgivable. Yeah. And they never had anything ever again. And, for a decade, decade, two, de- two, three decades after that, however long till almost the rest of her life, until Celebrity Apprentice, yeah, she was never on NBC, yeah, ever again. Like he shut down that whole side of her career. So she was never on Leno. She was never on Conan, and her she Saturday Night Live probably. Yeah, she appeared. I, I read this right before she appeared yeah. briefly on the first episode of Jimmy Fallon. Was the first time. So she, like, the whole run of Jay Leno and the whole run of Conan, she was not allowed to be on The Late Show. And they said that was out of respect to Carson. Carson. Yeah. And um, then she was interviewed, I guess, after The Apprentice on Fallon, you know, so. So um, one of the reasons that, I mean... Of course, we've already set up the fact that she's going to take anything, right? Yeah. For the right, for if it, if there's money attached, she'll do yeah. it. So, did she really want to work with Trump? No, he's an asshole. I think she says at some point or something yeah. to that effect. But um, one of the reasons she takes it is because it's on the NBC network. Yeah, and it pays. And it's she said this yes. is she said look at here I am after all these years coming back to NBC. Yeah, fuckers, you know. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that she got sort of. Which is another fascinating sort of entertainment history thing is the whole late night wars thing, you know, so like when Fox, I forgot that Fox was a new network um, that happened in my lifetime, like in the late 80s, I suppose. Fox used to only have the Tracy Ullman show, The Simpsons and Married with Children, I think were literally the only shows when it launched. Yeah, it was only on a couple nights a week, like Sunday night or something like that. It's it's funny because like it, it came on as this sort of like shocking, like more sort of blue collar um, network than like, I remember when I was in elementary school that everybody was just shocked by Bart Simpson's, you know, rude mouth, right. You know, eat my shorts. And married with children was this like ribald, like kind of shocking, Archie Bunker, every day, Archie Bunker sort of family part two. Um, uh, but I always, I always think that, I, and I don't know a lot about it because this all happened when I was very young. But the sort of like fight, you know, to have night shows and like where it was Carson for years and years and years, and then J, uh, uh, David Letterman wanted to have his own show, and that's when you know CBS h- hired him as his 
Um, but I, that that sort of thing that is really fascinating. And then the like fight to who's going to be the successor to to Carson when he he went, you know. Um, but like it's funny because like that was a big deal back then because that was something. I mean, like my dad watched David Letterman like every night when when I was a kid. Um, which is not something that we do now, you know, you know, people aren't on that schedule of like, now's the time that we, you know, reflect on the day and watch, you know, comedy skits and then interviews with celebrities like nobody. I I mean, like, it's funny, like in the last battle that happened with Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien, which is, you know, I guess probably 15 years Mm -hmm. ago now, like that whole thing like they were fighting over something that was essentially disappearing (laughs) it just seems kind of like pointless now but um um that was and that's like a major place where comics broke out was those late night shows and now they're kind of gone you know i think comedy central stepped in to sort of help that out and now like netflix has um but i think it's harder for folks to get that so you have to get that first comedy special on Netflix or on HBO or Max or whatever they're calling it now. And I think it's a little bit harder to break in because you can't just have the, you know, five minutes right. on on the late you show have and have, have a, like have everybody have see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Um, I'm sorry. You have to have a 50 minute set now yeah. or something. But I mean, every once in a while I get, you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit. I, I don't have the time to focus on that. I guess it was you know, an interest for a while that's kind of faded. But, um, you know, we saw Tig Nataro at um, Largo. Largo in um, L.A. That was really fun. I the, feel like that's the only comedy show we've ever seen together? Live? Yeah, I mean, I went to... Um, I've forgotten her name, Jen. Um, I went to a recording of one of her specials. Um, but, yeah, I have kind of fallen off the, the comedy. Oh, we saw... Um, What's her name from? Uh, oh yeah, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend yes. and uh, Dollhouse. Not uh, Dollhouse. It's, it's gone out of my head right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dollface. <laughs> yes, Dollhouse is a Joss Whedon show. Yeah, so that was that was fun to to Dollface go back in that. Um, but it's interesting because it's a very inter- intimate type of type of experience. Like most yeah. of these comedy clubs are not very big. You know, you're 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 like. 20, 10 to 20 feet from the... Esther Povitsky. Povitsky, yeah. Esther Povitsky. Yeah. <laughs> we saw her here. Sorry. My brain delivered So, I mean, it. but it's it's interesting because it is a different kind of art. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, and I think that, that a lot of comedians, especially those like all comics, are doing some really profound work on what it means to live in the society that we live in now and feeling like things are ending and, you know, dealing with that and, you know, struggling with being a human when all of this is happening, you know, and I just, um, I mean, like, I think that, um, and like, even like, even in Joan's sets like that are shock comedy like there's something there's some kernel of like emotional truth that comes through about herself but also about like what it means to be a human you know in this I mean and and hers was like reacting to this world of the internet as it's speeding up you know and from a time when you know she was born when you know there were daily newspapers and and you know things you know 
I mean, even living in New York, which is like the center was center of mm-hmm. information, like um, things were a lot slower than, you know, so reacting to that and being able to like thrive, um, you know, is pretty incredible. You know, that said, you know, she had to, you know, cater to I mean, like she was, you know, she you know, performed at Republican conventions yeah. and she was good friends with Nancy Reagan. And, I didn't know you know, any of this. This is not in the movie. Yeah. So We've done some outside reading. <laughs> no fair. So, which is interesting to me because like, that's an old kind of Republican that we don't know about as much anymore there. I mean, there, there were Republicans that supported abortion, you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, this whole like thing that's more based on preserving wealth than controlling people's behavior. Right. You know, and like, The culture wars. I mean, like, actually, the end results end up being similar, (laughs) regardless of whether you're focused on the money side of things uh... or the or the controlling people's behavior thing. But um, I mean, like, in my view, they're equally detrimental. But um, but there's something a little more um, genteel, I guess, which is not necessarily a good thing. It covers up the all the terrible things that happen and all the suffering. But I don't know. You know, people aren't a force for exclusively good and exclusively bad in the world. People are just neutral, you know? (laughs) You always come around. You always have this talent of coming around to some big picture thing at the end of, towards the end of our shows. But, um, there's something I really want to get in that I really want to mention. It's a detail and a scene in the movie that I just love. And I don't want to forget to mention And it's um, at some point when we're in Joan's apartment, her New York apartment, we get to see, and this is, sorry, the librarian nerd in me. Yeah. <laughs> we get to see her joke files. Oh, yeah. That giant card catalog <laughs> mm. along one whole wall where all of her the jokes of a lifetime are there. I was just lo- reading it a little bit about it in the New York Times. She had 65,000 jokes cataloged in, in that card catalog system, cross-referenced, you know, yeah. so they'd send each other back and forth between the different jokes. And so what we get to see is not just the catalog itself, which like shows the vastness of how many jokes she has on file, but the categories on the yeah. outside, the way they're filed, you see stuff like parents hated me. Yeah. <laughs> no sex appeal. Old. Yeah. And they say that the biggest file is just called Tramp. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think it's so brilliant. Um, actually, especially if you contrast it to something like um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah. which the one thing that I never, that always bothered me about the show, yeah. and you probably know what I'm going to say, yeah. is it seems to have this conceit that Mrs. Maisel her talent as a comedian is that she can literally just walk in and start talking without Mm -hmm. an act and just stream of consciousness. And it's a laugh riot comedy set. And that's not how comedy works. No. And I'm surprised that they do it that way. At some points they have her with a little joke notebook and stuff, but a lot of the major um, milestones in Mrs. Maisel's career, some, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's throughout that way the whole season. And I know you've seen the series a lot more yeah. than me. I love the show. It's just the one little thing that always bothers me a little bit is that they seem to imply that she can just go into Washington Square to that protest and immediately start saying funny, outrageous things that are politically astute. And and, and it's, it's not written. They're not jokes. Yeah. And so I just like, like we see the work 
put into this career that Joan Rivers has just by seeing the 65,000 jokes that are in those files. And you know when she's sitting there or she's on the phone or she, she, something funny comes rattling out of her mouth, that's probably a written joke that came out of those files that she's known for 30 years. That, yeah. that Now all of that stuff is so built into her that she can pluck from it, her mind to, yeah. to get access to a lot of those things that were crafted over yeah. the years. We even see her at some point with a, I think with giant note cards on the floor with a Sharpie, like yeah. writing new jokes, huge yeah. <laughs> jokes. Cause I'm just sure her eyesight, you know, but yeah. like writing huge jokes on giant cards and going, ha 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 vagina, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to make that point. Sorry yeah, if that was annoying. No, it's, it's interesting. And that's like, I think, something that people don't necessarily understand. And actually in Mrs. Maisel, there is a pretty good montage in one of the seasons where they talk about her working up from, they, they make a tight 10, you know? So she spends like six months developing they talk about it. Yeah. But she like the whole thing starts because she walks down into that club and just starts yeah. talking in her nightgown yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think that, um, and yeah, that, are, that plays better dramatically than the reality, which is if you're a comedian, you spend a lot of time in shitty clubs presenting new material, seeing what sticks, working on your timing, you know, so that you get a tight 10 where like everything that you say gets or not everything that you say, but you get steady and consistent laughter and the jokes fall in a pattern that keeps like it's like a what do you call it? Like a fireworks show. Yeah. You know, you start with bang, bang. And then yeah. you like, you know, if you've done it right, you've constructed a comedy that's going to result in like an explosion, explosion, explosion yeah. of laughter as in the finale of so it. So I know the Palladinos know that. Yeah. So I think you're right that <laughs> dramatically it works really well because what you're, I think what they're really trying to get across, I think with Mrs. Maisel is that she's a natural, she yeah. is funny. Yeah. She's, well, I think that this is... And this, her husband, who is the one yeah. who originally has the yeah. dream, is not funny. Is not funny. <laughs> and he's just a hack, and he's just copying acts that he's heard and literally just everybody doing other people's... Everybody copies everybody. Everybody copies everybody. He's yeah. literally doing something he has the record of, yeah. you know? Um, but Well, I, th- I do think that Joan Rivers is funny. I mean, like, watching the show, she says funny, self-deprecating things just off the cuff all the time. Well, you and yeah. I do that. We're yeah, funny. I know. I, think, I know. But, personally. like, that's a different... Like being funny in your in your regular life is different than so like then like everybody's look it's not like you're part of a conversation and you throw in a punchline here and there. Like when you're on stage, it's every it's quiet. Everybody's looking at you to make them laugh. You know? So then you do need that sort of you know that system to get them there, you know. Hannah Gatsby, talk to me yeah. about Hannah Gatsby. <laughs> We've seen Hannah Gatsby. You know how that yeah. how she crafts her yeah. comedy. Um, she and because I think she's autistic too. Mm-hmm. She has a part of the act is talking. It is actually a meta performance yeah. on where exactly we're going to laugh, telling yeah. us how we're going to. Yeah. Like she won't even tell jokes. She'll say something, something remark, audience chuckles nervously or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're doing all of that. That's how crafted it is. Yeah. She knows where every beat is going to be, where every moment of discomfort is going to be, yeah. where the audience pulls away for a second, where we come in again. Like she knows all of that because she's worked it. She's yeah. written it and she's worked it and she's performed it down to, because, well, I mean, it's a, I don't want to make a generalization, but 
often autistic people don't like surprise or the unknown. And so for her, her comedy is a way to control, like she needs to know exactly what's going to happen. She needs to know exactly what the stage is going to be like, exactly how the audience is going to react. And that's how tight her craft is. And that, that one, what is the, what is the big one that her big breakout international breakout? I can't think of it. Um, I'm not going to give it to you. It's too far away from okay. my brain right now. Well, anyway, her big breakout thing, which is like fascinating to me, is that she talks about um, how like at some point, like it felt empty. Like she could make the audience do what she wanted, but like she didn't feel like it was contributing anything to... The you mean world. after she'd been doing it for a yeah, year or two? Yeah, after, after a while. And so she wanted to be able to you know, you know, craft something that's going to make a point in the strongest way possible. And she uses comedy as her vehicle to, to talk about how this, you know, our culture of not accepting and, um, you know, this sort of patriarchal, violent culture that we have, you know, how it's hurting everyone. And like, it's, it's, I mean, like that's that's to me what raises that to to a whole nother level of art is that she was so successfully able to do that. That show is hilarious until it's not, until it's devastating. You know, um, you're making me want to yeah. watch it again right now tonight. It's so you know, good. I mean, and and that's the thing is like, you know, comedy isn't just about joy. It's not. I mean, laughter isn't even just about joy. It's it's about you know. And I think a lot of people use humor as a way to sort of cope with, with, and, and that's Joan Rivers says that, you know, you have to laugh at this stuff, you know, because otherwise you can't get off the floor, you know, <laughs> it's just um, that, that this, this experience of being human is hard, you know, and, you know, you can just wallow in the sadness of it if you want, but, you know why not try to make something interesting or, or creative or, you know, you know, why not make it into a joke so you can, (laughs) you know, keep, keep doing this another day, you know? And, you know, I think that, um, yeah. You feel pretty good about that, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about Joan Rivers? Um, the movie, you know, I life. I don't know society. It's funny. I have this complicated, complicated feelings about her. You know, um, because there are sort of trade offs that you have to make. Yeah, you know, and like sometimes you have to play into that culture in order to become successful. And I think that was particularly. So you mean the insult culture yeah, and the celebrity and the patriarchal down. and you know mm-hmm. calling women tramps and yeah. you know slut shaming, um, slut shaming, and you know fat shaming and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Um, um, all of that, like she, I mean, and she, she could wield all of those things, and she did in order to get where she wanted. She was in devastating. The world. Yeah. You know. Um, and like, it's unfortunate that, um, that, you know, she had to use her obvious creativity and talent, you know, in that particular way. But I feel like it was just, you know, 
as a, you know, boomer woman, that's what she had to do in order to be successful. And, you know, you know, it's, it's funny because it like, it comes across in, in, you know, like work culture as well, that there are women less so now because a lot of them are retired, but, you know, are female, older female bosses that had to deal with that sort of thing. And like, you know, when, you know, when they came across that sort of like old boy, good old boy network, they just had to play the game in order to move ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, you know, I, it's terrible that they had to make those kind of sacrifices and throw other women under the bus and all of the stuff that had to happen in order to, but like, that was the culture that they were working with, you know? So, um, you know, to get to a place where hopefully we can start lifting each other up instead of, you know, competing for Everyone a few, taking each other a few, down. few, few small places for women in anything, you know, you don't have to push people down in order to rise. Yeah. So I don't know. You don't have to create rivalries. <laughs> you don't have to savagely you don't have to, knock people yeah, down. You don't have to pit people against each other in order to be successful, but that bringing people together and, you know, the ironic thing is that I think that, that comedy does do that. You know, yeah. like when you're in an audience of people laughing, it's the same as being in a musical and, you know, having people react to that. It's, it's, it brings people together in a way like any kind of live performance does. Um, but, um, you know, behind the scenes, there was all that, you know. Yep. Sigh. You know, but, um, you know, it was important to her to take care of her people and to do that. She did what she had to do, you know. So, I mean, like we can fault her for it, but we can also, you know, respect the the work that went into it, you know. I don't know. Well, I came away (laughs) overall with a sense of respect for her as a person. Yeah. And for what she gave us, even if I don't like all of the comedy or everything that she did. Yeah. Um, it expanded my feelings about her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my awareness of her. Um, I really didn't know much well, about and, her before. And like, I did not like her. I just yeah. know that. Well, and you know, big picture, it's just like, think about any one that you have preconceived notions about that they have, you know, they have all this going on that we don't get to know about. You it's know, a shame we, that everybody doesn't get to have their 90-minute <laughs> yeah, documentary when nobody about them. Gets, uh, not everyone Where's gets my 90-minute 90 90 documentary? documentary? How come you guys don't understand who I am? And I think, to, I, I don't know if it's for everybody, but those moments where she is vulnerable, that it, you know, that it slips through the facade that are well, you know, particularly moving. Because, like, I know that I have those moments, too, you know, and that everybody has those moments, you know, so... Yeah, even yesterday, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> there, the moment that I'm immediately thinking about as you say that is the one moment where she sheds a tear and actually yeah. kind of breaks down on camera. Yeah. Cameras are there. Is um, talking about losing Billy in her yeah. life and having to fire him. Yeah. Billy Samoth, her manager, who kept disappearing on her because he just... He's not there for her anymore. She can't rely on him anymore. And it wasn't just a business relationship. She, to him, to her, she, he was a lifelong friend and it felt like she lost somebody who she thought was loyal, who wasn't there for her anymore and that she couldn't count on anymore. And, you know, what did she do and what went wrong? 
And so it's, she does sort of break down and you, you see her sort of crying, I think, in the, again, in the back of the car. We're yeah. often meeting up with her in the back <laughs> of a car as she's being driven from one gig to another. Yeah. But it's pretty devastating. Yeah. That's, I think, the one moment where she's probably the most vulnerable. Yeah. It's about the people in her life and one of the most important people in her life yeah. until he's not anymore. Yeah. And I think one of the things that she said, she was really attached to this idea that like they shared her career. Yeah. Like he was there for everything. You know, it's like Midge and, and Susie. Yeah. It's yeah. that kind of a fallout. Maybe they even got that sort of relationship from, from Maybe. that. Cause Susie's yeah. in, in marvelous Mrs. Maisel is Midge's, lifelong manager up to a point yeah well um, it's funny I, speaking of like um i'm on the mrs mazel reddit and like i'm on the mrs mazel subreddit so people are always like debating like people who've just finished watching the series like you know who was midge's soulmate joel or lenny and like everybody right. else is like it's obvious that it's Susie. Susie is her soulmate you know yeah. it's not a romantic relationship that's no. the most important re- Joel was the love of her life. Why do we have to they choose They couldn't stay together. Yeah. Lenny was a, an inspiration, a mentor, but he, he obviously didn't have it together. The most important relationship in her life was the one with Susie. That That's was, why the last yeah. couple episodes are yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, whether or not you care about Joan Rivers, please <laughs> use this as an opportunity to catch up with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel if yeah. you have not. Yeah. Created by the husband and wife writing team that brought us the Gilmore Girls yeah. and Bunheads 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 yeah but I mean Gilmore Girls alone yeah would have been enough for one career one lifetime but Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is really special too well you know the thing that I love about Mrs. Maisel is that it is set so strongly in that sort of you know was it Upper East Side Upper West yeah, Side yeah. um you know um Jewish community it's just such a strong sense of place and community and it's so good and like they're able to like take all that experience that they have and put it into this um this thing and it's you know it's funny like Lorelai from Gilmore Girls comes across as having that sort of sassy you know for sure. East Coast Jewish thing going and on. And that's always in the... But she's not... Yeah. You know, but she, the Paladinos always have that kind of character. Yeah. <laughs> and let me just tell you, Tony Shalhoub as yeah. Abe, yeah. her dad, <laughs> is one of my favorite characters in all of time and space. <laughs> I just love that man. He cracks me up. He's brought me to tears so many yeah. times. The scene where he's he's talking to the little grandson about death and yeah. being, and how be, that you should be afraid of everything. Yeah. I'm going to die laughing right now. <laughs> um, brilliant. So I'm so, glad yeah. we got to yeah, so check uh, out, remember uh, that on top of talking about Joan Rivers. Yeah. Talk about, uh, see Joan Rivers. If you, if you're interested in comedy, see the Aristocats, if you're Hell, interested. Just listen to our podcast because yeah. we have interesting conversations. Yeah. You don't need to know. <laughs> Obviously you're here either because you know us or you like Joan Rivers and yeah. there's sort of not an in-between for this podcast. That's either true. you know the thing we're talking about and you found it somehow or um, you personally know us yeah. and you subscribe. <laughs> so one that's our audience. My last detail is that I think is fascinating is that after in the fallout after her first talk show at Fox failed. Yes, yeah. Um the the uh 
this person who sort of brought her back to feature is that she was on Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special. Oh, right. Which is hilarious. And it's like the gayest, kitschiest thing ever. You've shown me clips on I YouTube. love it. It's so good. Um, but like, she also has been a gay icon this whole, like, well, pretty much her whole Paul career. Rubens. We yeah. just lost him a few I months know. ago, too. I uh, Boy, and, and you know, I, as someone who grew up watching Pee Wee's Playhouse, um, it's like a great loss. I almost sent uh, to my good friend, um, who also, we always would um, um, make fun of the pterodactyl, Terry the pterodactyl. I yeah. don't know, and I can't share the <laughs> reference with you. Oh, Pee Wee. Unless you do an episode of or, Shut Up and Watch This Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse, which I did not just suggest and okay. did not. Okay. Okay. Mecca high, Mecca Heine ho. I'd see, I have um, no so idea. So anyway, um, we're not. Gonna, don't worry, we're not going to do that episode. It's okay. We uh, could. I uh, love Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, it's so good. But I mean, it's just like even and like the thing is, is like when we were kids, I didn't even pick up on all the sort of like gay iconography that's in it. Like the, he has these like it's safe guys. To say in, it wasn't gay coded. It was just gay. AF. It was yeah. So like in the back, like throughout the whole series, they're building some like ice house in the back, and the guys who are building it are these like hot shirt shirtless guys wearing like tight um short shorts yeah and like i just didn't even pick up on that you know when i was a kid but like when i watch it now you You're know like, how did i not know this was? i mean like, it's gay. like you know and same thing with like john waters stuff like yeah. it's just like once you're aware of the kitsch of it then then it becomes immediately obvious but like it's funny because like when you're a kid it just reads as something that's like bright and colorful and you know, silly, but like, it's awful. It's this awesome, you know, celebration of like, you know, gay culture from the eighties, which is fascinating. So anyway, (laughs) before we go today, are you done with Joan? Yes. Okay. And Mrs. Maisel and more importantly, Pee Wee Wee Herman. Herman. Okay. (laughs) Um, I do just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. This is our 99th episode, which of course means that our next episode is one one hundred one hundred and one no one hundred episode one hundredth episode although it's actually one hundred and two or three I think because we did a couple special episodes that threw the count off however it's the one that's numbered episode one hundred okay. so, official counting um, we have something different planned for that we're going to completely throw out the format no we're not going to completely throw out the format but on the other hand I am not going to spend the next two weeks or a month editing some kind of insane clip show from all 100 episodes because I don't have the time or the energy for that and that would never hit the airwaves because these are airwaves not the internet um that was so 70s we'll explain to him about podcasts yeah how does there's tubes (laughs) um so all I want to say is we have been talking we have something special in mind we're gonna change up the format a little bit and turn the tables on each other and you'll see what i mean if you tune in next time for our 100th episode which actually i think we're under pressure and under the gun to um record while ashley is here okay right are we gonna do that are we gonna sure, try we can try otherwise we're talking december we at this to point watch i think two movies no you can't say that because okay. we haven't told them what okay. is happening yet <laughs> we'll watch no movies okay <laughs> It's going to be a five-minute show. That's the real way that we can make sure it comes out. That's right. Just do a five-minute show. That's right. This is our 100th episode. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time joining us, hello, welcome. Um, Welcome to the banter and the conversation. And uh, please like and subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends. Please leave us a five-star review, and it'll help other people find us. And we will be back next time. 
which I'm going to go on the record of saying will not be in three months. Yeah. We'll be back with our 100th episode. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.